Hello, and welcome to another episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP, a series where we take a look at something that has caught our attention in the world of intellectual property and try to unravel what's really going on. My name is Emma Isles. And I'm Rebecca Gay. Now, Rebecca, you may have seen in the news that Ed Sheeran was recently in court for the second time in two years, defending allegations that he had infringed another singer-songwriter's copyright. Now, we talked about copyright in music on the podcast before, and that was when we had a look at Clive Palmer's use of a Twisted Sister song. But this is a slightly different issue, and it feels like a good time to take a look at it, given there have been a few of these types of cases recently. I did see that media, Emma, about the Ed Sheeran case and and saw that Sheeran had actually successfully defended a claim that was brought against him in the Manhattan Federal Court by the heirs of Ed Townsend, who was a co-writer of the hit song uh, Let's Get It On um, that was performed by Marvin Gaye. And in that claim, it was alleged that Sheeran, his label Warner Music and his music publisher Sony had infringed Townsend's copyright in the song. That's right. They claimed that Sheeran's song, Thinking Out Loud, copied an ascending four-chord sequence and the rhythm in Let's Get It On. And it was a jury trial, which is unheard of in Australia in copyright cases, but is more common in certain states of the US, like New York, where the case was heard. So let's quickly take a listen to the relevant bits of the two songs, hopefully. Here's Thinking Out Loud. Baby, my heart could still pull us hard at 23. And here's a snippet from Let's Get It On. And if you feel like I feel, well done on getting that to work. Sound cute? I can hear the similarity, but of course, it's not enough to say that the two songs sound similar. Um, and that's clearly where the, the jury ended up in this verdict. And, and you mentioned this is the second time that Ed Sheeran's been accused of these things. I think the last time he also successfully defended allegations of copyright infringement, right, Emma? And that's right. Uh, although I think he is getting somewhat tired of having to do that. But in April of last year, he successfully obtained a declaration from the UK High Court uh, that a phrase, his song, Shape of You, which I'll play for you again, hopefully. There it is, that that particular phrase didn't infringe the hook in a song by Sammy Chokri, who performs under the name Sammy Switch, um, and his song is called OY, and this is the hook in that song. I mean, again, they sound pretty similar to me, and actually in that case, perhaps even more similar. Um, so let's take a look at why that wasn't held to be copyright infringement. Okay, so in general, copyright protects the expression of an idea by granting the creator of an original work certain exclusive rights over that form of expression. Now, there is a lot of concepts there, so we'll break them down step by step. First, copyright protects the expression of an idea, which is different to the idea itself. The expression is the way the idea is conveyed, and copyright only attaches once the idea is expressed in a material form such as the original recording of a chord progression or lyrics that have been sung out loud uh, and recorded or lyrics that have been written down. We call the expression of an idea a work. Literary, dramatic, musical or artistic works can be protected by copyright. 
That's right, Emma. And it's also important to understand that copyright actually protects various different aspects of a song. So the written lyrics are a literary work that attract copyright protection. The musical notation is protected separately as a musical work. And then any recording of the performance of the song is a sound recording. Uh, and regardless of which of those works we're talking about, another important aspect of copyright, in order for something to be protected by copyright, that work has to be original. That's right. And a work is original if it originates from the author, as opposed to being copied from another creator. The author's skill, labour or judgement is rewarded with exclusive rights. So that means if two authors independently use skill and labour to produce similar works, as long as one didn't copy the other, uh, both of the works can be protected by copyright and neither would infringe the other's rights. And that detail was very important for Ed Sheeran. We'll go into that a little bit later. But once uh, a work is created, copyright will automatically protect it from infringement, usually for 70 years from the death of the author. And infringement occurs if someone does one of the exclusive acts of copyright without the permission of the copyright owner. So uh, what does that mean? What are the exclusive rights? Well, for literary and musical works which make up a song, uh, the copyright owner has the exclusive right to reproduce the work in a material form, to publish it and to perform it or communicate it to the public in some other way. And they've got the exclusive right to make an adaptation of the work. Uh, and importantly, um, in doing any of those things, um, when we're looking at infringement, it's not just the whole of the work, it can also be a substantial part of the work. And what constitutes a substantial part uh, isn't clear cut. The test is qualitative rather than quantitative. So for example, a reproduction of quite a small portion of a work, perhaps even a few bars or a one line lyric could still be substantial if that's a really important part of the overall work. Yeah, that's right. Some of our listeners might remember the famous Australian copyright case involving the hit song by Men at Work, Down Under. The chorus to that song included a flute riff that sounded like the line Kookaburra sits in an old gum tree from the children's song of the same name. And the federal court held that was copyright infringement, even though it was only a very tiny portion of the overall Men at Work song. And while we're talking about reproductions, it's important to remember that a reproduction can infringe copyright even if the copying is not deliberate. If you've been exposed to the original work, do not consciously remember it, unconsciously copy it, that copy is still a reproduction. Okay, so to sum it up, copyright exists in original works comprising a song and infringement occurs if a substantial part is reproduced deliberately or not without the copyright owner's authorization. That's it in very short form. Well done, Emma. Mm -hmm. um, so in a copyright infringement case, the decision maker, whether that be a judge or a jury, will be asked to take a step back from the detail and undertake a comparative exercise to sort of try and get a handle on the similarities and the differences between the two songs. And so that means there's necessarily an element of subjectivity here uh, and the sounds can be more important than the actual notes. Um, the more similar the two songs, the more likely it is that a, a reproduction has occurred. Yes, but again, it's not enough just to show that there's similarity. There needs to be actual copying, conscious or unconscious. 
That requires the second artist to have heard the first artist's song. Taking the Shape of You and OY case from last year as an example, the UK High Court asked whether Sheeran both had access to and actually heard or saw Sammy Chokri's OY. The judge was careful to note that even though it might seem unlikely that two songs would be similar without copying, the evidence showed Ed Sheeran probably hadn't heard OY. As for whether there was actual copying, Chokri's lawyers put forward evidence that Sheeran had a tendency to copy other artists' music, but the judge wasn't convinced that he'd done so in the past, let alone in the case at hand. So looking at all the evidence, the judge decided that Ed Sheeran wrote Shape of You independently from OY and dismissed the copyright claim. And then when uh, Sheeran turned to the Let's Get It On case, although they also relied on an independent creation defence, they did take a slightly different approach because it was more difficult in that case uh, for Sheeran and his co-writer to say he hadn't heard of the Marvin Gaye song Let's Get It On. So their case theory was more focused on Sheeran's songwriting process and emphasised his songwriting ability was so strong and so focused that that really cast doubt on the allegation that he had copied Let's Get It On, even subconsciously. And of course, this was also a jury trial, which does necessitate a different approach when you're dealing with subjects as complex as copyright law. So what did Sheeran do? He pulled out his guitar in court and played the song. So a free concert for the jurors as part of their jury um, making decisions. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded being on that jury. That would have been quite good. Um and it was a particularly interesting moment in the case because the trial judge had already ruled that Marvin Gaye's recording is not relevant evidence in the trial because it's no longer protected by copyright. The recording was made and released prior to US copyright amendments in 1978. So actually, it was only the sheet music for Let's Get It On, which was filed with the US Copyright Office, which was still in the copyright period. So the jury didn't get to hear Marvin Gaye's recording in court to compare Ed's playing. And it's interesting to think about the impact that may have had on the final verdict. Sheeran and his co-writer both testified during the trial that they did not copy Let's Get It On, and Sheeran's lawyer claimed that the two songs are only similar because they're both comprised of chord progressions and rhythms, which are, in her words, the letters of the alphabet of music. And there's probably two ideas that we should unpack uh, there. The first is that, again, to prove a copyright claim, the plaintiff needs to overcome the possibility that the two works sound similar by mere coincidence and prove that the defendant actually copied the earlier work. Again, it might be subconscious, but it has to be a copy from the earlier work. And then the second idea is really about the policy and the purpose of copyright law. Um, it's the question of what elements of a song should be protected by copyright, giving the owner a substantial monopoly and preventing others from being able to use it. Even if there's a small common element between two works, there's a chance that there's no copying. And that's something we need to be really careful about when we consider initiating a claim. Ed Sheeran himself made some similar comments after the OY decision. In particular, in a video to his fans, he said, claims like this are way too common now. It's really damaging to the songwriting industry. There's only so many notes and very few chords used in pop music. Coincidence is bound to happen if 60,000 songs are being released every day on Spotify. There's only 12 notes that are available. Very interesting. And Sheeran's lawyers also pointed to the use of the impugned chord progression prior to Let's Get It On. Sheeran's expert witness told the jury that 33 songs created before Let's Get It On 
used the same chord progression, casting some doubt on the ability of the progression to attract copyright protection in the first place. The judge sent the jury into deliberations with the note, independent creation is a complete defence, no matter how similar that song is. As we noted earlier, the jury determined that Sheeran independently wrote Thinking Out Loud and did not wrongfully copy compositional elements or melodies from Let's Get It On. And there's another recent case which involved um, pop music star Katy Perry, who won an appeal last year over her song Dark Horse. So a rapper had claimed that Perry had copied an eight-note pitch sequence from one of his songs, and a jury initially found that Perry was liable for infringement. But appeal courts um, in the US District Court of the Ninth Circuit found the portion she allegedly copied was not original enough to warrant copyright protection. The federal court said that allowing copyright over the material would create an, quote, improper monopoly over two-note pitch sequences, and even the minor scale itself, especially in light of the limited number of expressive choices available when it comes to an eight-note repeated musical figure. That decision contrasted against a 2018 decision also in the US, which upheld a $7.4 million verdict against the songwriters of the song Blurred Lines. The jury found that the song had infringed copyright in another Marvin Gaye song, Got to Give It Up. The appeal judgment noted that even an arrangement of a limited number of notes can garner copyright protection. Although the majority judges urged that the decision didn't mean that a musical style or groove would be protected by copyright, the case did seem to open up a bit of floodgates for these types of claims. It does seem to have, and it, it really just does emphasise how complex and at times subjective these cases can be. But if we go back and look at the purpose of copyright, um, it is supposed to encourage innovation. At its core, it can, can give the original songwriter control over how their work is used as a, effectively a reward for having come up with the work in the first place. However, if one of the building blocks of music essentially belongs to one artist, then that really would stifle innovation and creativity going forward. That's right. And as we often discuss on this podcast, intellectual property law requires a balancing act to both reward innovators and creators for their labour and ensure that the resulting monopoly, on the other hand, doesn't prevent other players from innovating. Ed Sheeran's successes in the High Court and the Manhattan Federal Court are examples of the limits of copyright protection. They also serve as a reminder that copyright applies only to prevent actual copying, not independent creation using the basic elements of expression. Indeed, they do. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us on Emma and Rebecca Talk IP, and we'll see you next time. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.